0: The Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Kurezi. If I had to describe this show, I'd say it's like Betty by Time for the Damned, because even the hellish have to sleep. But during the show, I'll be performing some improvised horror stories, I'll be pulling titles from a hat titles that I've never seen before, and then making up the stories from there. And if you want to submit any titles to the show, for stories that I can perform, you can submit your titles to show at gmail.com. Just a fun fact. So let's begin. This first story is called Pandemic Brand Awareness. as long as Howard Leary could remember, he always posed himself as an entrepreneur. When he was a kid, he would purchase books about money and how it worked and why it was always good to invest and save your money in a bank and all that jazz. Howard was a kid He once found a blazer uh, In a trash can Looking back he assumed it was some sort of uh, staff uh, Blazer that someone tossed out uh, As a form of defiance When Howard picked it up he started to wear it all the time Even before he washed it He got so excited about it That he would position his uh little student desk in his room and make it face the door and then invite his family members in as if he had some sort of business to attend. Like he would tell his mom, hey, come visit me in ten minutes. And then he'd rush up and uh, start doodling some stuff on his desk pretending he was doing very important work. come up, and then he'd be like, Oh, yes, you wanted to see me. And his mom would just be like, uh, No, you wanted me to come say hi, or something. And Howard was like, Oh, yes, yes, of course, uh, hello. And his mom was just like, Okay, uh, whatever. Well, dinner's in, like, half hour, or something. But Howard was frustrated as a child. He wanted to realize his entrepreneurial dreams test out his business acumen. He would try to sell bookmarks at school for 25 cents a pop. He certainly did love selling things. He didn't see any uh, inherent spiritual value in money or anything like that. He just loved the hustle and loved the craft of doing business and making money. To him he was no different than a carpenter or a painter, they all did their crafts, but his craft happened to be financially fortuitous. But of course he would do it for free, but that's not quite how making money works. An associate's degree in business and uh, worked for different companies. He worked for a cracker factory.
1: Uh,
0: he was an executive for a uh, pl- uh, pipe developer in Wisconsin. And he also spent a fair amount of time uh, developing snack foods and branding them specifically. All this uh, doing all these jobs, trying to see the commonalities of both marketing and uh, developing a business and getting a product to be likable. The time came for him to go into business for himself And his business of choice was uh, developing energy drinks. They were called spritzers spritzer energy drinks. It was a young brand. They only had three flavors at the time. Just uh, lemon, orange, and blue. He was also working on uh, key lime and raspberry flavored spritzers. But he felt very hurried to just start launching it get the taste in his mouths to get the taste in people's mouths and he had a whole elaborate uh, ad campaign for his spring launch he was gonna do giveaways at a spring spring break locations in uh, California, Florida, and New Jersey. He was going to set up kiosks uh, in various supermarkets around the country. Even with a basketball hoop uh, displayed next to it to uh, showcase athleticism. He also tied uh, various ad campaigns uh, with uh, well-known shooter games as well. Yeah, he pulled all of his money for various ad campaigns so people would know the name Spritzer and make it synonymous with energy drinks and having something super carbonated making your stomach hurt, but also being addicted to that feeling. pulled all of his money into it but as far as he was concerned you know no risk no reward excited for their spring march, their, uh, their spring launch. They all met in the conference room. Had a bunch of their cardboard cutout gear everywhere. They're really celebrating it. Really anticipating a full flourish for a young company. Howard didn't surround himself by yes men. People would come up to him and say, Yeah, yeah, it's a good product. I think people will really be into it. It's better than Monster and Rockstar and even Red Bull. And Howard's like Howard's like, yeah, yeah. Took a lot of time hunting the chemist to really make this drink, and I think it's really gonna work. I think it's gonna be a big a big staple in a western civilization as far as uh, pick me up energy drinks go. So in March 2020, they slated for their superb energy drink launch. It couldn't have been a worse time for an energy drink loss, energy drink launch. Sure, all the cardboard cutouts and whatnot were in the supermarkets, No one was paying attention to them. The giveaways at the spring breaks were cancelled because... The spring breaks were cancelled. And sure, people did play more video games when the pandemic of 2020 started. But they all less played uh, shooter games and more so went to Animal Crossing. Howard never even considered to try to do a cross-brand promotion with Animal Crossing because he didn't even consider uh, a disaster such as the COVID-19 pandemic to occur. all of his money to advertising that people would just like come for the spritzer you know and get really into it and become regular uh, sustainable users of the beverage (laughs) that's not how it panned out so his company was depleted money he had to do mass layoffs close offices The office that remained was the headquarters in Chicago, Illinois. Only the people who started the business were, were left at the executive level. As they watched all of their efforts slowly deplete progress they made to build up a new company and a new brand. It all just plummeted because it coexisted with a disaster that would overshadow it. small office, too, all things considered, considering the size of the company that built up so quickly. He was hoping he would use the massive cash explosion to, uh, purchase a set of offices in a skyscraper somewhere. Maybe in New York or the Big Apple or something. On his laptop on Zoom, staring at the screen and feeling his brain melt in the process, trying to do the massive damage control of his dilapidating company. Something he dreamed of for so long and put so much work into. was so depressed that he never wore pants at a meeting. He would try to fake a smile, but all of his uh, fellow executives knew that he was suffering. And like a lot of people during that year, he just watched a lot of news. Trying to get updates on the pandemic of uh, when a vaccine would come up. He was such a distraught state that he didn't even care about all the deaths from COVID. Only by his own selfish needs of when a vaccine would come just so that he could start up his company again. The perverse thing is that he was actually jealous of all the companies that took advantage of their workers. They were able to stay afloat, at least. It's safe to say that Howard did become callous that summer. He was at a point where he was putting business in front of the well-being of people. And as he was watching uh, the news... vaccine info and whatnot, an ETA on that front, he got an idea. He thought of sugar and tobacco manufacturers, of how they would uh, fund studies saying that both sugar and tobacco aren't really that bad for you. So what he did was he did the, used the little cash that he had left to fund scientific studies not on the health uh, effects of his drink specifically but how his beverage was a preliminary for a possible pandemic vaccine By how fast the process was to get the phony results by fall of that year. By October of 2020, uh, news was already circulating that yes, Spritzer has some ingredients that can cure COVID 19. A lot of the mainline uh, news organizations didn't take it too seriously. All of their commentary mainly focused on saying how much of bullshit it was. But that was part of Howard's Howard's plan. Because to him, he thought, yes, but people were talking about it. where all the news is reactionary and all commentary based rather than hard reporting. It's mostly just people talking about things. And sure some people thought saw that the studies about the spritzer drink and the vaccine associated with with it were bullshit and a fair amount of people did believe those uh, phony studies that there was actually something to it and worth trying. Whether it was praise or dissent, the spritzers were still being discussed, and people started to buy them. This company started to stock them up in supermarkets. When another wave of lockdowns came that winter. the orange-flavored, the blue-flavored. People were just fucking chugging that shit. barely staying afloat from this bullshit information that was circulating around the country. He was already starting to try to pull deals with uh, having a sponsor sporting event sporting events and concerts and large gatherings and whatnot. signed some of these deals he thought to himself maybe I'll be able to see in that skyscraper after all winter, uh, there's a lot of cases of, uh, heart palpitations for people who drink the spritzers. They were condemning spritzer for causing this phenomenon. And then eventually Howard contacted the scientists who conducted a study on spritzers and whatnot. said hey guys what's going on so he was talking to one of the scientists and uh he said well you know did you read the report on what your drink does and howard said no no i just kind of focused on the conclusion that's just like yes it's it has vaccine properties and then the pharmaceutical person said well yes it That's because it does miraculously have vaccine properties, but like a lot of pending vaccines that came during 2020, it's not guaranteed to have other health defects that could severely damage people, making the COVID vaccine moot. I don't even know how the FDA uh, were fooled into distributing this, or letting it be distributed. I suppose they've been tapped out for a while. But even still, people who believed in your drink were the ones that had to suffer through it. Or even just people who like the taste, who like the blue flavor, the orange, and the lemon. If we had more time with it, we could have used the spritzer and actually made it like a viable vaccine of some sort. But you just wanted to rush through the process because you wanted your money. You wanted you you wanted your pandemic brand awareness. Howard was arrested for being in charge of the company spritzer that caused all of those deaths. The news were calling it a pandemic within a pandemic. To spend only a couple years in prison Because at an an executive level He managed to get out of a harsher sentence By only being a financier of the cause You know His argument was like Oh I didn't do it directly or anything And that led to a soft sentence But no matter how soft the sentence was prison that he was staying at had a very high rate for COVID-19 alright this next story is called Bananas Tap Dancing Into Your Heart that's a lovely title I hope the story is just as lovely cinema theatres had a specific type of magic in the 20th century that it probably lacked or was deprived of. As the early decades of the 21st century rolled on, there was still a magic in the outing, you know. Celebration of either fine entertainment or fine art. Mickey's favorite uh, theater was uh, in his hometown. It was called the Banana Rama. Now, what made this theater, uh, the Banana Rama, uh, peculiar was that it shared space with a produce stand that also specialized in smoothies. it was kind of arbitrary, just like, oh, that's the movie theater uh, next to the produce place. But they started to collaborate over time. Often a lot of people uh, thought of it as the same place, you know. Sometimes they get some fruit at the produce stand. go to see a movie and watch it there, watch and eat the produce as they, uh, watch the movie. And it was also a very fine produce stand, too. They got their pineapples directly from Hawaii, not making a detour in California or Florida first before it's, uh, distributed to supermarkets and whatnot. But the produce stand consistently had very fine produce. And moviegoers totally flipped their shit when the movie theater was selling smoothies from the produce, uh, from the produce stand. Panorama became the only, the only theater that also had supercellar smoothies. That again, people would drink during uh, any sort of sim- cinema they chose to watch. Now the produce stand didn't have any mascots per se. Shop did have a, a bunch of uh, graphics of uh, pieces of fruit dancing around uh, with smiles and little limbs, you know. And it was also on the glassware that they sold as well. you can get like smoothie jugs and whatnot, juices and all that. Rama started doing is, uh, they started to incorporate these little, uh, fruit characters into little animated shorts that they play, uh, before the movie. It was usually something that was just promoting Banana Rama or the produce stand itself or both. Cartoons also became synonymous with a uh, theater in that town. It was a lot of for a lot of teenagers in the 70s, took their first dates, where they found love. It was where parents and their uh, kin could. Uh, go and reconnect and see a movie. It was the kind of theater where you can get along with your brother for a day. And in, uh, Mickey's case, view Steve to the theater often. And when Mickey would pick him up, uh, they'd always tell uh, Steve's parents that just like, oh, they're gonna see a a movie about a talking car. You know, maybe uh, they're doing a Reshowing of Shitty Shitty Bang Bang, you know, we're gonna go see that. They're playing Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. But what they were actually seeing was super hardcore fucked up Grindhouse films. The whole gamut, you know. As well as some older horror movies like A uh, Night of the Living Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all the knockoffs in between. There's one movie they they saw together called A uh, Pointy Speedy Death Car, where a car would just go and run a bunch of people over because it was a haunted car or something. Or is that car just actually running over people because it looks really real and Mickey was just like oh, I got no idea I don't know if I want to see this movie again Mickey was surprised and frankly impressed how tolerant Steven was for Gore metal jacket together. And then afterwards, Mickey was just like, Jesus, Steve, are you okay? And Steve was just like, uh, as, as okay as I'm going to be. Same thing with Clockwork Orange. Mickey asked Steve, like, Steve, aren't you just, like, fucking traumatized by now? And then Steve was just like, uh, I think I'm uh gonna be you know going to be traumatized as an adult in life, might as well do it early and get out of the way. And Mickey thought, "Oh, Jesus Christ, Steve's a pretty fucking dark kid." Damn. He had a disturbing sense of maturity in the sense that it's a, as if his, as if he knew the horrors in the world that, uh, would be ideal for a child not quite to know yet. But Steve and Mickey would talk about it often, you know. They both agreed that just, like, ultimately, kids are smart. They know what's up. They know what death is. They know what sex is. shield whatever you want from them but they're always going to have the ability to read between the lines whether you like it or not so Steve was just like hey I might as well go all in with this thing so by the time I hit the age where most other people would already would be into this shit I would just be like moving on to other stuff you know fully develop as a person was just like yeah fucking smart kid hope the nightmares don't fuck you up though and then Steve was just like oh they already do they're already fucking awful just like Clockwork Orange like really screwed with me. And then Mickey was just like oh Jesus really he had a Clockwork Orange nightmare and then Steve was just like yeah it wasn't about like Subject matter of Clockwork Orange specifically. You know, I just had nightmares of like Stanley Kubrick just like shouting at me and telling me what to do and pointing a camera at me. And Mickey said, Oh, yeah, it's kind of horrifying. And Steve was just like, Yeah, 21 takes, fuck you. Goddamn. So, with all these uh, types of conversations that ...Mickey and Steve would have. What Mickey always found peculiar... ...was when they would play the animated shorts... uh, ...before movies... ...of the Dancing Little Fruit and whatnot. Steve would always, like... ...really enjoy it, like, way too much... Become childlike in a way that Mickey hasn't seen before. It was like a toddler watching Barney when those fucking banana cartoons came on. Steve, we walking out of the theater together. I think it was asking Steve about it, just like, hey Steve, you know, you're really, I mean, you always like, you tend to like most of the movies that we see, but you're always like super into those like banana cartoons and whatnot. And Steve was just like, yeah, totally, how can you not be? it was just like oh I didn't know you were like that in cartoons or anything and then Steve was just like oh I like cartoons in general but I mean those fucking banana cartoons are just like the most fucked up thing I've ever seen and Mick was just like really it just seems like you know Looney Tunes or something and Steve was just like well think about it Looney Tunes is pretty fucking dark like the amount of times people get shit-faced and shot in the face in that show, and then Mickey was just like, yeah, I guess so, I guess I'm just, uh, desensitized to that type of violence in the environment where I live or whatever, and then Steve said, yeah, but those fucking banana cartoons, if you read between the lines on those fuckers, that'll really fuck you up. Like he was thinking about it, just like, yeah, maybe next time I see a movie, a Bananarama, I, uh, I'll take a closer look at those uh, banana cartoons or whatever. Went to see another movie uh, with Steve. This one was a uh, this one was called Stad Machine. It was a, a low budget grindhouse science fiction feature where uh, blood is currency. run society have, uh, stabbing machines that they use in the general public, and, uh, movies about a group of rebels that, uh, tries to overthrow these, uh, stab machine users, uh, by outstabbing them pretty much, a super violent, absurdly sensational, gruesome film, but that was also, uh, making Steve's jam. They got their popcorn, they got their soda. Mickey even splurged on some uh, black licorice. They were totally ready for a stellar uh, cinema experience. Go when the shorts were starting, Mickey was just like, oh yeah, I gotta pay attention to these banana movies. watching them and the cartoon was uh, black and white and started in a way that uh, cartoons typically would. It was just, uh, you know, a lot of fruit dancing around. They were doing high kicks and whatnot. dark and macabre song, but they made a very, like, animated, uh, happier version of it. So they're dancing around, having a jolly old time, and Mickey's just watching Steve be super into it. some random cut that uh cut to a live-action mutilated body and then went quickly back to the cartoon. Mickey didn't understand it at first and he was just like, Steve, did you see that? And Steve was just like, oh yeah. were only interspersed throughout the uh, cartoon. but they would show stills of uh, people in captivity being tortured. And what appeared to be like some sort of like a Gothic dungeon. And then one sort of specific exit sign as well. I's just like, oh my god, there's fucking snuff being cut into this little Happy Fruit cartoon. stab machines but Mickey couldn't get into the uh, cinema experience which was very very well reviewed, uh, even by critics so then after the movie uh Mickey and Steve were walking out of the theater. Mickey's still traumas- traumatized by the animated short. And then Steve was just like, wow, that movie really fucked you up? I mean, it was gory as hell, but it was, like, obviously, like, fake, though. And then Mickey was just like, no, no, dude, I paid attention to the animated short, you know? All those, like, bodies being mutilated, it was fucking awful. Just like, yeah, the effects on that were pretty stellar. And then Mickey was just like, no, that wasn't. Steve, those weren't special effects. Those were like actual people, like getting mutilated and dying, like on camera. And Steve was just like, yeah, it looked real, but. Steve, I used to be like a paramedic. I've seen my fair share of like bodies and whatnot. And I'm telling you, that was that was the real thing. And then Steve was just like, "Well, they wouldn't play something like that, like you know, in an animated short." I mean, plenty of grindhouse films we saw were really like dicey, you know, ethically perhaps, but they wouldn't play actual snuff in the Banana Rama. Mickey was thinking about what to say next, and then he saw an exit sign near the back of the theater that resembled the one that he saw in the animated banana short. Here. And Steve was just like, Mickey, what are you talking about? And Mickey was just like, yeah, I think, let's come on, and follow me. They both went down a stairwell uh, near where the exit sign was, leading onto a basement. And after passing a few doors, They saw the dungeon area that uh, resembled the one uh, from the animated short. Left the theater very quickly. Mickey went to a payphone and called some authorities and told them about what he saw and what his account was. Apparently, as part of a rumor uh, about some disappearances that happened around the movie theater, it was uh, enough of a case for for a warrant to be acquired. And some police and, uh, detectives went in, uh, to the basement and saw residue of mutilated bodies there. They arrested the, uh, Bananarama owner and found the people who worked there specifically that, uh, participated in these acts and filmed it and cut it into the animated shorts produce stand, uh, you know, made a statement saying he had no idea that such atrocities were being made, uh, interspersed with his little, uh, happy fruit characters. After those arrests were made, uh, Mickey and Steve didn't see each other for three weeks. But then eventually Mickey came over Steve's house. Saturday morning and uh, usually Steve would watch cartoons at that time but he was just staring blankly into a bowl of cereal It seems really rough. I mean, you're into, you know, like violent movie stuff or whatever, which ultimately is fairly benign. But I know the real thing is like a lot. You know, it can really change your shift the way you see the world and all that. And it feels like something died inside you. But that's just part of you know being alive. It's part of mortality. I know it's a rough entry into it, but it, it's often that way. You know. So I'm sorry you had to, you know, go through that and whatnot. And then Steve said to Mickey, like, no, no, it's not that. It's just I really love those cartoons and the footage that they interspersed with it. So now where am I going to get such primo gore? That's what I'm really bum- bummed about. Mickey was taken aback uh, at Steve saying this. Said, yeah, now there's there's no other movies that could possibly replicate that. I'll have to recreate it myself someday. So Mickey thought about it, and he was just like, "Huh. Maybe I kind of fucked this kid up, or more likely, he was already this way." And this last story is called Pig's Lipstick. You know, most booty products or products in general, uh, they would always shy away of uh, how their things are made, if uh, they're used with, uh, made with more uh, unseen parts of animals and whatnot. give a shit about it and wanted to real take a real nosedive so they would fire him. So he gave the okay for a Hogswild lipstick to pass. It smelled and tasted like pork rinds. It explicitly says all the parts of the pig that's used to make it To his surprise, it was, uh... They were selling like hotcakes. He didn't know why that was, but... He assumed that, uh... As an American, he lived in a very repressed nation. And releasing Hogs Wild Lipstick was a way for people to really relish in their uh, innate, perverse nature. So he was just like, shit, if it's selling, then, you know, fuck it. It actually altered fashion trends, even. perfumes and whatnot would have uh, distinct urine scents, but also uh, flowery fragrances in an attempt to disguise it, but the Hogswild lipstick just overtly smelled like pig. It shifted the trend of fashion and beauty products uh, in the United States. instead of people wanting to smell good, they, uh, wanted to smell disgusting and filthy. Some people were trying to be DIY about it and just chose not to bathe or anything, uh, and roll around in mud or shit or something. But, of course, there were some gatekeepers, uh, to the world of beauty products, uh, Who really tried to perfect the scent of ultimate filth. And Martin was, uh, uh, he skyrocketed in the high accolades products. He became the filth guy. A lot of people charged the task of uh, creating the ultimate scent of filth to him. And Martin was just like, uh, I'll see what I could do. Shit. You know, he was kind of a little bit disillusioned at the approach. To him, finding the perfect filth scent was kind of like trying to make uh, crayons when you're colorblind, you know? He was just like, I'm just throwing shit together, you know? It's like an unwritten recipe here. You toss in like old banana peels. Rotten eggs, some uh, gorene and vitamin B and all that. Rika, you know. And in the world of, uh, filth scent criticism, uh, Martin developed these, uh, out of, out of these world filth scents, all unique and standing on their own. Up at the beach for five weeks. And here's one: if you are uh, soaked in medical waste and then spent a week at a slaughterhouse. stood outside on a hot summer day, all of his his, uh, filth scents were just, they were like time-lapses in a way, like with one spray, it would uh, cause a progression of a scenario, and it would be a very dynamic scent. still some uh, old-fashioned beauty product enthusiasts. They'll try to do perfumes and colognes, still trying to do like an ocean breeze thing. And then Martin will be like, hey, here's one from uh, the scum off of a, a ship, you know. For every groove, uh, for every scent that's aimed for in the world of perfume and cologne. Martin would make a counterpart that would just be the filthier version of that and as he worked uh, mastering uh, the scent of filth a lot of people still thought that his uh, pig's lipstick was the best even if it wasn't a perfume still uh, stunk, like uh, pork rinds and pig's feet and all that. Or sweaty pig, I guess. But still, Martin didn't quite come up with the perfect filth scent. Started off not taking seriously, he became very invested in. He slaved over it, adding all a bunch of a uh, urines and feces and whatnot, really trying to spark something that could last a while, some sort of common denominator toward all of the filthiest st- f- filthiest sense. Finding it. So he thought, and he was just, what's the re- most, just space, simply, what is the most repulsive thing that I could think of? And then that's when Martin realized a human corpse. Of course, it was, it was so obvious. It's not only the disgusting scent of a rotting human flesh, but also the uh, existential fear that it could also happen to you as well. It was not only uh, disgusting in the physical scent, but also it could disturb you spiritually. I gotta. I have to master the corpse scent. So he ordered some uh, animal carcasses to his workshop and tried to do different combinations of that. Stored them in a hot place so they could uh, get extra raunchy and whatnot. In his mind, he conducted some of the most vile scents known to man, but still not quite the perfect filth scent that he was looking for. He needed a human. There's no other way he can reconcile with it. bad for digging up his father and using his corpse for his workshop experiments but he wanted to master the existential dread and what better way to provoke it than to use his own father if he can harness that dread into a scent he would really be on to something runs, he worked for weeks at it, he spent a lot of time crying, questioning his life, just like, oh my god, what have I done? having that also paired with, no, no, I am close, damn it, I'm close. But then on one crisp dawn, he finally did it. By his accord, he conducted the perfect filth scent. Father's Corpse Matter and various other ingredients. He wrote down how he did it and then he replicated it. I came up with the the same scent. So then several months later, he finally released it as a mass distribution perfect scent. Existential human corpse. People raved about it. Anyone in the filth sense were swept off their feet. It was like the bible of uh, smelly scents. A lot of people tried to mimic it, but they couldn't quite Master Martin's formula. But what it did was uh it did up the ante for other filth other uh filth scent uh purveyors and whatnot. That was the generation that came up with the filthiest of scents ever. None ever topped existential corp, uh, existential human corpse, of course. But many came close. It was a real renaissance of smelling like shit. matter became so big that it completely uh, revamped the uh, human burial process. Eventually, cemeteries and cremations were out and transposing dead people into perfumes and colognes were in Some family members felt honored that their relatives could be made into mass-produced perfume. But other family members, uh, people who were against uh, filth scents in general, would throw a lot of lawsuits at it, trying to halt the process. relatives as perfume or cologne. Especially bad-smelling perfume and cologne. And for a while, those lawsuits were successful. Because you needed to have control of what to do with the body before you can transpose it into perfume and cologne. But eventually, uh, the filthy scents became so big that laws were rewritten so that people were directly siphoned to put perfume and cologne plants uh, after they died. Tired uh, Thinking when he came up with uh, Existential uh, Human corpse He thought that was his peak That was his Premier perfume scent It was the top of his game And at that point he felt that he could relax But he still enjoyed All the uh Filth sensed out come out, uh within his generation and the generation afterwards. People saw him as a pioneer for smelling like shit. And he would joke and say, No, no. People smelled like shit long before I came around. And he lived a long life. his deathbed he was very excited uh, not excited to pass on but it was nice to be with his family say his goodbyes and so he could finally rest at peace when he was growing up there was a tree near his house that he wanted to be buried under and he would talk about that and he looked forward to it daughter, uh, looked at him and was just like, no, no, uh, that's not what's gonna happen to your body, Dad. No, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be a smelly perfume and cologne, just like everyone else. No one gets buried anymore, that's so anachronistic. And then Martin was just like, no, I don't, I don't want that, I want to be buried underneath a nice tree. Very grim and upset, and his daughter kept saying, "Well, Dad, it's not going to happen. You know, I'm sorry, but it's just that's just how the law is. It's something that you started. It's something you pioneered." And then Martin was just like, "Well, no, I never, I never wanted this. You know, I, was just, I started this whole thing just because I was trying to do such a bad job and get fired. I didn't think it would be the next uh, perfume and cologne renaissance." Spent those next couple days kicking and screaming in the hospital, saying, "No, I want to leave. I'm not ready to die yet." But then, inevitably, uh, after those few days, his time did come. He passed on at 10:02 a.m. on a Tuesday, and inevitably, his body was transposed into perfume and cologne. Martin had no way no way of knowing this. But uh the scent of his corpse was actually filthier than the perfect filth scent that he created. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a good one. <laughs> quarantine spook show i'm kyle carezzi